Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be looking back at Arsenal's draw at Southampton. Two points dropped, was it? Yeah, it probably was. Um, you know, it's it's one of those where you look at that first half performance and you just can't get your head around how we've not managed to put Southampton to bed, how we've not managed to create a deficit that is beyond Southampton and that means that we go on and win the game, in fact, quite comfortably. So it is one of those games where you come away disappointed. It is one of those games where you come away frustrated. But I do think we need to look at the bigger picture here. That's kind of my opening spiel. And we'll get into it in a little bit more detail, of course, throughout the show. Uh, big hello to everybody joining us live right now on YouTube. A big hello to those of you who will be watching this back on playback or, of course, listening to it on your favourite podcast platform. If you are listening via podcast platforms, please do leave us a review wherever it is that you're listening from. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you leave a like, make sure you subscribe to the channel. I set off for St Mary's this morning at around about 8.30am. I wanted to go early. I wanted to beat the traffic. I was covering the game. I was working on the game. And I'd had this email to say that there was a potential issue with some of the connection points at Southampton. So I really didn't want to get there at the last minute and have all sorts of problems uh, connecting back to the studio. So I set off nice and early. It was raining cats and dogs. It was a really shit start to the day. It was it was so bad that you could barely see through the windscreen. It was terrible weather. But as I got closer and closer to the south coast, the sun started to break through. And uh, and it was a much more pleasant day uh, down that way. But of course, by the time the game had ended, that weather, uh, as you may have seen from my tweet, that sort of gripped London in the morning, the thunderstorms, the rain, the wind, uh, all of that, it uh, made its way down to the south coast and uh, took over Southampton. But yeah, look, long day. It's been a long day and maybe that adds to my frustration a little bit. I got back really late considering the time I left. I left about five uh, from St. Mary's. I don't think I got back home until about, what was it, quarter to eight? Only took me an hour and 40 minutes to get there, but two hours uh, and 45 to get back because of the crazy traffic. So you'll have to excuse me if I'm a little bit cranky. Uh, on this edition of the podcast. But look, I've been thinking about the game. I was thinking about it all the way home and I had plenty of time to think about it. I've been thinking about it since I've come home. And I do want to start off by making the point that all is not lost. Okay, I've seen some of the reactions on social media. I've seen some of the reactions from some of the usual suspects, people that don't want Mikel Arteta in charge, people that refuse to acknowledge that he's done a good job, people that refuse um, to sort of support 
the work that he's doing. And that drives me absolutely insane. But the fact is, you can't win them all, right? You can't win every single game, especially not in this league, especially not in a league this demanding. This was Arsenal's first draw in a really, really long time. Our first draw of the season. And I guess the, the way to look at it, the way to kind of shine a positive light on it is that if you had said to me at the start of that run of games, which included uh, Liverpool, Tottenham, Leeds and Southampton, if you told me that we were going to get this points return out of it, I'd have been pretty happy with that. You know, I'd have taken it before we went into that round of games. And maybe sometimes that's the way you need to look at these things. Glass half full rather than half empty. And we were really poor at Leeds last weekend in the second half. We were outplayed. We were slightly fortunate as well in the way that uh, VAR got us out of a hole. Uh, maybe not fortunate because the decisions were correct. But you know what I'm trying to say in that it wasn't our best day. We didn't perform to the level required. Yet we left Ellen Road with all three points. And here we are. Um, you know, a week later playing at Southampton, where again, our second half performance was not up to scratch. Again, we seemed to run out of steam. Again, uh, we were below part in the second period. But once again, we've not been beaten. So I'm trying to take the positives from this. And, and I guess what we're going to do is we're going to try and work out what exactly is the root cause of these problems that we're seeing at the moment. What is the root cause of the fact that our level just seems to drop so significantly in the second half of matches. Um, is it just as simple as a fitness issue? Is it an attitude thing? Is it a complacency starting to creep in, given how well and strong Arsenal uh, have been at the start of the season? We'll get into all of that uh, in the show, so please do uh, bear with us. But let's kick off with the starting lineup, as we always do on our review shows. Mikel Arteta picked the same team that played at Leeds, that played at Ellen Road, uh, with Takahiro Tomiyasu continuing at left-back. Now, this was a real contentious thing, again, because many people, myself included, wanted to see Kieran Tierney play from the start today. Many people feel that although Tomiyasu was a great fit for that game against Liverpool, in which we had a very specific target to try and nullify Mo Salah, Tommy Asu was a great fit. It was a tactical masterstroke, bit of genius from Mikel Arteta and a move that ultimately helped us get the desired result in that game. That's what it was. But park that for a second, because since then, in the Premier League, Mikel Arteta has been adamant that Tommy Asu needs to continue at left back. Look, when we signed Tommy Asu, one of the things that was talked about was his versatility. One of the things that people were very quick to point out when listing off his strengths was his versatility. And I agree. It's a great thing to have. And it's great that he can play in a number of positions. But he's not a better left back than an actual left back. OK, he's a decent right back. Actually, I've started to think this season, looking at Ben White, that Ben White is a better right back than Tommy Asu because of what he brings us going forward. I mean, in the last few weeks, especially, Ben White has been getting forward and influencing games and causing teams problems. He's able to tuck in to that inverted position that Mikel Arteta has asked him to tuck into on numerous occasions. But he's also been able to go on the outside and make things happen, just like he did today for that Granite Xhaka goal. The point I'm trying to make is that I think when we're trying to play against aggressive presses and I think when we're trying to find some sort of rhythm and some sort of tempo in our game, Tommy Asu at left back 
disrupts that. Why? Not because he's a bad player, not because I don't want him in the team, not because I think he's terrible or overrated or any of those things, but because he is right-footed. Don't care. However many people tell me that Tommy Asu is two-footed, I'm not interested because it's simply not true. I watched him really closely today off the back of having that argument with people all week. And pretty much every time he received the ball, he wanted to work it onto his right foot in order to try and progress it. But then what that does is it just slows everything down. It just impacts your tempo. And defensively, I still think there are questions when he's playing on that left-hand side. I think he's had some good performances. I think there have been some times where he's done a really good job. But, you know, there have also been games where he's been exposed. I was in the ground today and and some of my colleagues around me were sort of really critical of Tommy Asu's role in the Southampton goal. I've come home and I've watched it again. And I think that actually that's probably a little bit harsh. I don't think he's the only one um, that gets caught out. I don't think he's the only one a little bit slow to react. I think it's a combination of things Arsenal get done by a sweeping counter-attacking move. And ultimately, it was a good Southampton goal. I don't really want to point fingers at individuals or say it was this person's fault or that person's fault. What I will say is that if Arsenal were clinical in the first half, when they were completely dominant, totally in control, then Southampton putting together a really good move and actually finding the back of the net doesn't prove to be decisive in the game. So we got to look at ourselves. we got to stop obsessing with outside factors. we got to look at the issues we have ourselves. And one of the issues for me right now is at left back because, you know, we've got Kieran Tierney, we've got Alexander Zinchenko. Okay, he's not available at the moment, but how can someone sit like genuinely and tell me that, you know, it's it's right that Tierney has been almost demoted to the third choice left back because when Zinchenko plays, uh, sorry, when Zinchenko's fit, Zinchenko plays. We've seen that. That's been evident this season. Kieran Tierney is fit. And now Tommy Asu's playing. And I think actually when Kieran Tierney came on, that was the only time in the second half that we looked like we had any balance, uh, both in and out of possession. So it's a strange one for me and I can't really get my head around it. It's not as though Tommy Asu had a stormer at Leeds after the Liverpool game. He was great against Liverpool. And so when Mikel Arteta made the decision to pick him at Leeds, I thought, not what I would have done, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt because, you know, you did make that decision against Liverpool and actually it worked really, really well. But it didn't work well at Leeds. And so I can't understand why, again, he was put in that position today. I I, I just don't think it works. I just don't think he fits. For years and years and years, we've talked about Arsenal managers trying to put square pegs into round holes. That's a common phrase that's been used um, among the... uh, among the Arsenal fan base on numerous occasions in recent seasons. And putting Tommy Asu at left back certainly feels like that. The rest of the lineup was the lineup I'd have picked. Everything else was fine. Uh, everything else made sense to me. And as I say, we started the game brilliantly. The first half performance was really dominant. I think we silenced St Mary's. Not that it's the most atmospheric of grounds anyway. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but it isn't a cauldron as such. We went there. We controlled the ball. We dictated the play. We were busy in attack. You know, Gabriel Jesus was giving the centre-halves a hard time, pulling them left, pulling them right. Xhaka was getting into those half spaces and making those late runs into 
and towards the edge of the penalty area. Martin Odegaard doing the same as well. And then the goal comes. A brilliant little flick from Saka to set off Ben White down the right-hand side. And when he gets to the byline, he cuts the ball back into a really dangerous area. And similar to the goal that he scored against PSV Eindhoven the other night, Granit Xhaka just checks his run and sort of uses his right foot to steer the ball into the back of the net. This was an emphatic finish. The one on Thursday night was pretty powerful too, pretty emphatic, but it was low and down to the keeper's right. This time, Granit Xhaka's effort found its way into the roof of the net. And Gavin Bazunu, who's a pretty decent goalkeeper, had no chance of keeping that out whatsoever. And at that point, you're thinking, great, we've made a good start and we've taken advantage of that start by getting our noses in front. You always feel with this Arsenal side that the first goal is really, really important. And so when you get it, you're normally quite confident that you'd then be able to either continue in the same vein and put your opponents to the sword. Or if you are pegged back a bit, you always feel like with the pace of Martinelli and Saka and Jesus and co, that we're quite capable of picking teams off. And we had more chances in the first half. We forced a couple of saves out of Gavin Bazunu. Gabriel Jesus had to do better with some of the opportunities he had, but he should have been given a penalty kick. There's no question about that in my mind. Um, he should have been given a penalty kick. Kieran Tierney should have been given a penalty kick as well. There was another appeal involving Ben White. I'm not so sure about that one. Uh, I haven't seen that one back. But the other two, for me, were certainly really, really strong claims. And it frustrates me when you watch things very similar given in other games, um, you know, where we're supposed to be applying the same laws, yet in some games, those decisions are totally overlooked. And listen, I said to you guys a few minutes ago that rather than complain about the things that are out of our control and rather than focus and obsess on those things, I'd rather look at what we can do better first. But the referee, Rob Jones, today had an absolute stinker. And you know they're having a stinker when you're sort of scrolling through your timeline and friends and colleagues of yours that don't even support Arsenal are saying the same thing. That certainly impacted the game this afternoon. There were key decisions that were wrong, missed, uh, key incidents that were missed. The flow of the game, I thought, was disrupted based on uh, some of the smaller calls that he made. He just he just didn't have a hold of the game and, and certainly um, impacted it negatively as a spectacle. I have to say that. But anyway, going back to, to the performance. So we get to halftime and you, you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, we could have done more. We should have done more. And hopefully we don't get punished for that. But really deep down, like, although you're trying to be fair, although you're trying to be respectful, you actually think, well, you know, Arsenal have been bloody good today. And Amai was better than this Southampton side, who hadn't threatened in the first half at all, barring a spell of about four consecutive corners, all of which led to nothing. Southampton offered very, very little in that first period. So you're sitting in there and you're thinking, second goal, is it coming? It's just a matter of time. But once again, just like at Leeds, we started the second half really sloppily, really poorly. And, you know, what's the reason for that? Is it tired legs? Is it fatigue? Is it attitude? What's gone on in the dressing room that has led them to come out and, and almost be half asleep? You know, you, you can't do that in this league. This league is unforgiving. It's punishing. We've said that for years and years and years. We've seen it. We've experienced it time and time again. 
So I want to understand why it is that Arsenal are seemingly coming out in the second half of games recently and being essentially not ready to continue where they left off, not ready to pick the mantle up, not ready to go out there and, and impose themselves again. And once you start giving unfancy teams like your Southamptons, like your Leeds Uniteds, signs of encouragement, that's when they begin to grow. I always say one of the key things about Mikel Arteta's approach and one of the reasons I always bang on about the start and the opening of games is because I think that if you set that tone, you you end up against the unfancied sides, planting a seed in their mind, a seed that tells them that they can't compete, that they're not good enough to compete with you, that they don't deserve to be on the same pitch with you. Maybe there's a bit of that on their part going into the game, looking up at the Premier League table and seeing Arsenal sitting at the top ahead of Manchester City. Teams will look at us now and they will fear us, which is why if you go out in the early stages of the game and you completely blow them away, you can do a lot of damage mentally to your opponent. And that stands you in good stead going forward. But what you have to do in this league is make sure that you maintain it. And if you can't maintain the same levels of intensity, then you've got to learn to keep teams at an arm's length. And unfortunately, today we did neither of those things. We came out in the second half. We were sloppy. Our passing was poor. There was no rhythm to our game whatsoever. Um, we weren't winning our duels. We weren't winning our battles physically. Uh, we were being put under a lot more pressure by Southampton, which is a credit to them. But you could just see that something was off from the start of the second half. And I did an update on the radio maybe seven or eight minutes into the second half. And I said, if Arsenal don't you know, get themselves together, if Arsenal don't fix this in terms of you know, their performance and, and the intensity level and they don't switch themselves back on after that halftime break, then there's a good chance that Southampton score. Now, that wasn't based on Southampton being any good. I don't remember Aaron Ramsdale making a meaningful save. You know, the only save he made up until that point, I think, was one from Lianco, which was a shot from outside the box. Comfortable save down to his left. I think he made a stop from Joe Aribo after Southampton and equalised. But, you know, up until their goal, he'd, he'd had to do very little. And so I tweeted at the time saying, you know, when the goal went in, this was coming. And a few people replied and was like, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. You know, Southampton haven't done nothing. No, it wasn't coming. It absolutely was coming. It was coming because Arsenal were giving Southampton reasons to be encouraged, giving Southampton reasons to believe that they could get themselves back in the game. And when you do that, it is dangerous because what you have done is half killed off an opponent and then giving them the kiss of life. And that's what Arsenal did to Southampton. And, you know, you could see it coming. You, We couldn't win the, all the tackles. We weren't picking up the loose balls. We weren't closing down spaces. Our press was totally ineffective in that second half. Our passing was off. It was sloppy. You know, we weren't winning our physical battles in certain areas of the park. And all of a sudden, the game just swung not so much that Southampton were then knocking on the door and were then desperately unlucky not to win it in the way that you could say of Leeds United last week. But I've got to be honest, I never felt Arsenal were going to score again after 65 minutes when Southampton equalised because the performance level had dropped that much. And then, of course, comes that Gabriel Jesus chance, doesn't it, um, in the second half where he's played... Did that come after the equalising goal? 
I can't remember if it came after the equaliser or before the equaliser off the top of my head right now. But anyway, it's a glorious opportunity and he's already missed a really good opportunity in the first half, Gabriel Jesus, after Odegaard flicked the ball up for him inside the penalty area. And he's been played through again by Odegaard after Thomas Partey wins it back in midfield. And you're thinking, come on, now's your time. Use your pace. Accelerate away from the defenders. Create that half a yard of space and do what strikers do best and find the back of the net. But he was lacking that acceleration, Jesus. He was lacking that burst of pace, that explosion. He didn't protect the ball well enough and he allowed Mohamed El-Yanoussi, a right winger who at times was playing at right back today, uh, to make a back five for Southampton because of the respect that they had for us. He gets back and makes an incredible challenge to deny us. We also had the ball in the net when uh, the ball was played over the top for Tierney. He cut it back uh, to Odegaard, who put it in the back of the net, but that was ruled out as well, correctly so, having saw the replay. Um, but, you know... The chances were there. And listen, I don't want to dig out Gabriel Jesus because since we signed him, he's been incredible. He's transformed our front line. He's given us so much more potency, so much more purpose in the final third. I believe he's brought the best out of Gabriel Martinelli. I believe he's helped increase the levels of Bukayo Saka and of pretty much everybody around him. I watched his post-match interview when I got home and he sort of said that, you know, we got to learn to kind of maintain this. It's a bit similar to what happened against Leeds United in that the level dropped off. And he says, look, collectively and individually, we need to be better. And he's right. His assessment is absolutely spot on. But, you know, when I look at it and when I break it down and when I think about what's actually cost us today and the small details that were the difference between us winning the game and not winning the game, Gabriel Jesus is one of those. Look, I thought he battled well. I thought he fought well against two very big, powerful, strong centre-halves who were very fortunate to get away with some of the treatment that they dished out uh, on Gabriel Jesus today. But, you know, he's got to finish. He's got to finish. And just like we would sit here and be critical of anybody else, we have to be critical of Gabriel Jesus in those moments. Because had he taken those chances, particularly that one where he was through on goal, then... You know, we're not even talking about what Southampton are doing. We're not even discussing the fatigue issue uh, anywhere near as much. It is an issue. It is an ongoing issue. And we'll come on to that in just a sec. But, you know, yeah, we we just, we, I, it just feels like, I, I said to you guys after Leeds that if we perform like that every once in a blue moon, but sometimes when we do, we have the strength and the mentality to sort of grind out a result, then great, that's a good sign. But when those performances repeat themselves, then you've got a problem. And just a week later, that performance, in terms of what we saw in the second half, repeated itself. And that's my worry. That's my concern. Ultimately, though, this all comes back to having a lack of strength in depth. You know, I've talked on here many times about the size of the squad and what I think Mikel Arteta believes are the benefits of having a smaller squad versus a huge, sometimes overinflated one. But there are trade-offs, right? So just because you have a smaller squad, which means it's easier for you to keep everybody engaged, give everybody the minutes they want, etc., etc., it also becomes difficult when you get to situations like in the Europa League where you could potentially rotate. And then all of a sudden, particularly because of the significance of the PSV game, the other night, Mikel didn't trust some of those fringe players, didn't 
look at the front line, for example, of Marquinhos, Nelson, etc., um, and think, yeah, actually, that will be enough to get me through. He doesn't trust them, which suggests that still there is some work to be done. And and so he said it, didn't he, going into this game? Look, I can't rotate 11 players every game. It's crazy. We don't have the numbers. And he's absolutely right. But I, I thought about this sort of coming home tonight. I had a conversation with my dad just before the PSV game when, when the lineup came out. And one of the things he said to me was he's gone too strong. And that means that going into the game at Southampton at the weekend, we're not going to have a sharp Jesus. We're not going to have a sharp Saka, et cetera, et cetera. That's what my dad said to me. And my response was, I totally get that. And I understand that. And I agree with you. You know, it's not ideal that they're going to have to play uh, on Thursday and then go to Southampton. But the significance of winning the group in the Europa League is massive. So if you'd have asked me, a week ago, would I take second place in the group in the Europa League, which means that you then have to play the round of 32 against the Champions League dropout, which means two extra ties, two potentially grueling fixtures added to a list that is already um, that is already you know over bloated and full up, etc. Whatever you want to call it. Um, if you had said to me, would I rather? have the extra two points in the Premier League, but have to play that additional round in the Europa League, I'd have said no. I'd have said, take the two points and let us win the group so we don't have that extra round. And I think that's how Mikel Arteta will see it too. But that doesn't mean that you then don't try and win the second game as well. That doesn't mean that you're excused when you don't. But the point I'm trying to make here is, yeah, we suffered because we played players on Thursday and I think we had people out there who couldn't last the entire 90s a day and, and suffered as a consequence. So we suffered as a team for that. But it was a necessary decision, in my opinion, because we pretty much have won the group now. And the benefit of that is bigger than the benefit of an additional two points against Southampton. And the only reason I say that is because we've earned the right to have an off day by being so consistent in the Premier League so far. We'd won nine, lost one of our 10 Premier League fixtures going into this weekend. Now we've drawn one. We still haven't lost it. We drew it. So you can think it's the end of the world. You can be upset. You can be disappointed. But this is what I will say to you. We were on the bad end of some really bad calls. There was clearly fatigue kicking in in the second half. I asked the question at the start of the show, is it an attitude issue or is it a tiredness thing? I don't think it's attitude. I don't think it's fair to sit here and, and claim that it's an attitude problem or anything deeper than what it probably actually is, which I believe is just a bit of fatigue. Um, so, yeah, we're tired. You know, we're running on empty. We're playing a game every three days, pretty much. You know, and, and that's just something we're going to have to live with and contend with. But, you know, the squad we've all known for a while isn't quite deep enough to cope with this, um, you know, this schedule. And I'm hoping that when we get to January, post the World Cup, we'll be able to make some further additions. But look, is it the end of the world? No, it's not. Because Arsenal remain two points clear at the top of the Premier League. OK, that lead has been halved. But, you know, we're two points clear of Manchester City. We've gained another point on Spurs. We were beaten at home by Newcastle earlier today. Chelsea and Manchester United both dropped points in the race for the top four. 
as did Liverpool, who were beaten at Nottingham Forest. So this could have been a great weekend or it could have been a decent weekend. It's proved to be a decent one in the end, given some of the other results that have helped us in that sense. But what I will say is, you know, don't lose your minds. Don't go into meltdown. Okay, the second half performance wasn't good enough. We all know that. Um, and and let's kind of move on from it. I mean, I'll go through some of the individual performances and then I'll take a couple of your questions before uh, we run off to watch match of the day. But Ramsdale didn't have an awful lot to do uh, today. I didn't think um, don't hold him culpable for the goal or anything like that. So pretty solid display from him. Uh, ben White, I thought was really good. Um, struggled a little bit in the second half, but so did everybody. Uh, Saliba was good for the most part, gave a really stupid ball away, though, that he played across uh, our own sort of um, defence and, and Southampton picked it up. I think it was Adam Armstrong that picked it up and drove towards the penalty area. Thankfully, Gabriel was able to kind of stand him up and capitalise on a poor touch from him. But that was the one kind of real lapse that Saliba had today. Uh, Gabriel was solid today. I thought he was very good at the back, um, had a great game. And I'm glad because people were talking post uh, pre-match, I beg your pardon, about the fact that if somebody needed to be dropped today or somebody needed to be left out, it shouldn't have been Kieran Tierney. It should have been Gabriel. Well, I think he justified his selection today. Tommy Asu, for me, doesn't, doesn't look comfortable at left back. I'm sorry. Like, I rate the player. I really do. I think he's got so many attributes. And I think he's such a great squad member, but he's not a left back. That should be your last resort. That should be the option that you go to when both of your left backs are injured. And in our case right now, only one of them is. So that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, moving into midfield, Partey good in the first half, really dominating, really controlling in the first half, but lacked sharpness in the second. I wonder if fatigue played a part. Remember, he played a part against PSV Eindhoven um, the other night as well. Uh, Xhaka, Really good in the first half, dropped off in the second half, as did everybody. But I think his drop-off was noticeable in that he was giving the ball away a little bit more frequently. On the right-hand side, Saka very quiet in the second half. Martinelli very quiet. Jesus always in and among it, but just couldn't apply the finishing touch today. Odegaard a little bit below it as well, you have to say. So those are my thoughts on, on some of the individual performances. Um... I guess to kind of summarise before I take some of your questions, I'm not angry. I was frustrated um, by the way that the second half panned out and played out, but not massively surprised. I was frustrated with some of the refereeing decisions, which I'm sure we're going to hear more about in the coming days. You know, the inconsistency with which the laws of the game are applied will forever be a, bill, a big bugbear of mine. Um, and there's no signs of that getting any better. Look, sometimes you're on the right end of those. Sometimes you're on the wrong end. And uh, today we were on the wrong end. But as I've said to you before, I'm not excusing those decisions. I'm not overlooking those decisions. I'm not naive enough to think that they didn't have an impact on the game. But I prefer to focus on what Arsenal can do better. I prefer to focus on the things that are within our control. How do we fix the issue that we've had in recent weeks? It's going to be... Um, interesting to see if if any sort of changes are made, if we see any sort of, um, you know, anything different from Mikel Arteta in the coming weeks. But ultimately, it's a good side. It's a side that we'd all pick pretty much uh, that he's selecting. So it's not really, like, is it a manager issue? I, I don't know. I think he's, 
I think the way he's tried to manage people's minutes this season, the way he's tried to balance it out by saying, for example, if you played in the Europa League one week, you get a week off the next week, at least as a starter, and you can maybe come on if we need you. But essentially, we're going to try and protect people. That rotational system has led to this Tommy Asu thing at left back, in my opinion, maybe more so than the whole, you know, I don't rate Kieran Tierney narrative that some people claim Mikel Arteta has. So my view on it is his approach to rotation is the right approach in that you don't want to lose the momentum by completely changing the 11, having a shit result midweek and then having to go back to the Premier League and turn it on again. I understand the value of momentum, of a winning mentality. So that's why he's tried to find that balance. But finding that balance in Europe has ultimately cost us today. We got away with it last weekend, so nobody was really talking about it. But the performance at Leeds was sluggish. It was um, a tired performance. And we've come up against another side this weekend away from home. We've been sluggish in the second half. We've not been at the races and we were punished for it again. But we still didn't lose the game. And that's a step forward in in some way, isn't it? In that even when we're not playing well, we're showing a resilience at the moment and we're managing to get some form of result and we're managing to get points on the board. As I said, if you told me at the start of the season, 11 games in, we'd have won nine, drawn one and lost one, I'd have bitten your arm off for that. So it's it's not the end of the world. There's no crisis here. There's no need to panic. People need to rest up. We need to focus on getting that point that we need in Eindhoven. And then the game against Zurich on the last round of the group stage becomes a non-issue. And then, Mikel, you can rest all 11 players. You can take everybody out and you can play your Marquinhos's and your Nelsons and, and whoever your heart desires without worrying too much about the outcome of the game. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. OK, I'm upset. I'm frustrated. It was a miserable, long old drive back from St. Mary's. Um, always kind of feel like my heart breaks a little bit when I have to commentate on an opposition goal against Arsenal. But, you know, the league reads pretty well, doesn't it, in terms of how the table looks right now. Um, as I say, I thought maybe the attitude thing could be a relevant point here. The more I think about it, the more I think that I have no evidence to to kind of put that argument across and nothing really suggests that. So let's give the boys the benefit of the doubt. Let's give the manager the benefit of the doubt. I did think the manager got a couple of things wrong in his selection, as I've mentioned already, but we've been great so far this season. Today was an off day. On another day, we might have got one of those penalty calls. The game might have been put to bed before Southampton popped up with an equaliser. But it that's, that's football, isn't it? That's football. And so we move on. We move on. We focus on Europe on Thursday night and then we turn our attentions to that home game against Nottingham Forest. So um, that's my kind of assessment. Uh, we will do a, a deeper Q&A uh, tomorrow. Mike Stavry returns to the podcast. We'll be live at 7.30pm UK time on the channel. So I'm really uh, looking forward to that. We'll get his thoughts on what went wrong today at St Mary's. But just to, to remind you, Arsenal sit pretty at the top of the Premier League. So make the most of it. Uh, this is a really good question from Tariq. He says, hey, Harry, as someone who is involved in the football media world, what are your thoughts on Ben White's post-match interview? I didn't like it, to be honest, and thought he was being overly rude. Bad questions, though. Yeah, look, I think 
Uh, and, and if you haven't seen it, guys, go on Twitter, search Ben White's post-match interview. I think it was with Via Sat, and it's been going around. And there's just a couple of questions that the interviewer asks that clearly Ben White doesn't really feel fair. And, and you know, the responses he gives are a little bit cold. They're a little bit sharp, I guess, is the word I would use to describe them. But, you know, I, I don't think Ben White crossed the line, Tariq. I, I get where you're coming from in that you didn't like it. I don't think he crossed the line. I think the, the questioning was poor, um, you know, like suggesting that Arsenal are notorious for being bullied. That's not really been the case since Ben White's come into the picture, into the team. And I, I'm glad he defended himself because what does that tell me? It tells me that when Arsenal don't win, it gets under his skin. It annoys him. It upsets him. It puts him on edge. It makes him prickly. And and ultimately, you know, that's what you want to see from your players. You don't want people to be getting on the coach back from Southampton to London with all smiles because we weren't good enough. We weren't at the level required. And that needs to be noted. That needs to be um, acknowledged. And only when it's acknowledged can you move on and hopefully work on those particular elements and put things right. As someone who works in the football media, it can be really hard to do your job when someone is in a bad mood. And that can be a manager, a player, a colleague. You know, sometimes that happens. Um, you know, and uh, and as a professional, you got to just keep going. But it can be really frustrating as well, because just like you are showing them respect by asking them the questions and being there and turning up essentially uh, to cover the game, you want that respect back. And, and sometimes you don't always get that. But as I always say to people, the raw emotion that players have, um, you know, uh, and and that sort of that sort of misery, I guess, that comes with a defeat, it's part of being a pro. And so we need to understand it as members of the media. But equally, they need to understand that whoever's asking the question is just doing their job. As I say, I don't think Ben White crossed any lines. Um but yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. I mean, if I was the interviewer that done that or asked those questions, I probably would have walked away sort of a little bit more annoyed at myself than than at the player because clearly my line of questioning didn't get out of the player what I wanted to or anything like it. Um, so yeah, look, it's it's just one of those things in it. It's just one of those things. Uh, Jared says, uh, should we go strong against PSV and guarantee top spot but play a weaker team against Forest or should we play reserve players? and go strong against Forest next weekend. I think you're going to see the same as you've seen so far in the group stages. I think you're going to see a mix and match between the fringe players and the players that are regular starters in the Premier League. Mikel will feel like we're one game away in terms of the Europa League from securing that top spot of the group, which is hugely significant, as I keep saying. And then, you know, you go into that final game and you can make wholesale changes. I don't think... Um, I don't think that we'll... Well, I, I was going to say that I think that, you know, we'll be OK against Forest next weekend, but they've just beaten Liverpool this weekend. And they set up in a really different way, actually. I thought they were a lot more uh, rigid in the way they set up. I thought they were a lot more defensively sound than they've shown themselves to be. And so does that concern me? It's just sods law, isn't it? Every time teams are about to come up against us, they hit form or do better and get themselves into a better headspace. But whatever. Um, no, look, Jared, I think you're going to see a mix and match again. Uh, as I say, between first team starters and and the fringe players that have been knocking on the door uh, so far this season. Yeah, uh, let's uh, let's move it on. Uh, I'm going to take, I think, uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. 
uh, I'll take this comment from um, uh, Paul, who says, we've played a game less than Spurs and have five points more. Can't grumble. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was saying at the beginning, right? The bigger picture is still really positive. The outlook for Arsenal this season is still incredibly positive. And as I tweeted, when the game was sort of, uh, when the game came to an end, the fact that Arsenal dropping a couple of points away from home is big news and a really big story in itself tells you how far we've come in itself tells you how much better this team are doing and uh, and and the fact that we're right uh, on the path towards greater glory hopefully and that people are taking notice of us again so there we are as i say we'll do a deeper q and a session on the show tomorrow mike stavry will be joining me we'll get his take his thoughts on a disappointing afternoon in the end at st mary's but we'll also talk about why the bigger picture still looks bright for the gunners who remain top of the premier league and uh, when you're driving back from St. Mary's, windscreen wipers on full blast. The rain is chucking it down. There's nothing better to soften the blow after your team gets pegged back and listening to Spurs get beat on the radio. Up the Arsenal, I'll catch you all very, very soon. Until next time, take care. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. <laughs>